Welcome to another podcast on Fire Network bonus episode, this time on The Moon Warriors. On the project in official capacity as writer, Alex Law, joined by Mabel Chung, uh, they're also credited as planners, which I don't know what it means. In a reveal, I, I literally don't, but in a reveal that is not much of a sensation if you know or how Hong Kong cinema operates or did, it turns out the duo directed parts of Sammo Hong's 1992 new wave wuxia film, The Moon Warriors. Now let's uh, talk about it. My name is Kenny B. With me, it's still Tom KW, and here's the promised website. <laughs> ex- we've been here for so long. Uh, and here's the promised website exclusive bonus episode on the careers of uh, Mabel Chung and Alex Law. And uh, this includes The Moon Warriors. So thank you for sticking with us and following us into this bonus uh, episode. Hello, Tom. We haven't been separated for a week at all since we last spoke. No, I'm still here holding on. I just I can't give you up, Ken. I can't do it. Nice. Thank you. That's uh, very nice. No, nothing. Dead. No. Okay. Let's do an elbow bump in agreement because we don't uh, shake hands anymore. So that's cool. <laughs> Hope you moisturized. <laughs> okay, let's uh, get into it. Uh, the Moon Warriors from 1992. Uh, many of you perhaps have um, seen this um, uh, film. I was uh, aware of it for many, many, many years without seeing it. I was more aware of its promo, but never saw it until the DVD hit. But anyway, plot from the Hong Kong digital review of the film. As the film opens, Yen, played by Kennedy, not me, the 13th prince and the ruler of the empire must flee on horseback from his kingdom, along with a small group of loyalists, uh, when the palace is invaded by enemy troops. At the head of these rebellious forces is his brother, the 14th prince, played by Kelvin Wong, who seeks to ascend the throne rather prematurely. Remember, Kennedy was the 13th prince and uh, Kelvin Wong is the 14th. When Kennedy's character Yen stumbles into a trap, he's saved from death by Fei, played by Andy Lau, a guileless fisherman with, a tre- with tremendous martial abilities and one very unique pet, a domesticated killer whale. Production value, I'll tell you. It's not a, it's not this uh, pre-CG whale or like this bad animatronic. No, they, they got a whale, all right. So. It's there, man. You can reach out and touch it. So with uh, Faye in tow, uh, Yen and his troops uh, journey across country where they meet up with uh, the Emperor of uh, Lan Ning and his daughter, Princess Moon, played by Anita Moy. In the aftermath of a surprise attack, Faye, Andy Lau's character, escorts the bratty princess who has been uh, promised um, in marriage to Kennedy's Yen. Uh, he escorts her to safety and after some initial friction, the two fall in love. It is soon revealed uh, thereafter that Yen's prime uh, confederate, uh, the character of Mo Xin Yi, played by Maggie Chung, who we'll speak of um, uh, in a bit uh, more detail as we go along here, because her role is quite special. Uh, she is secretly in league with the uh, 14th Prince, the brother, but cannot carry out the traitor's assassination order because she has fallen for the, po- for the deposed uh, monarch. And I had a little bit extra plot there, but I'll, I'll stop there because... Um, that's uh, the quite uh, easy to understand uh, Wuxia film uh, plot uh, here. An 83-minute uh, package of straightforward, um, uh, well, is it goodness or not? We'll get to that. But there is some background here. Uh, the pieces who made sure this uh, 
film was uh, put together, uh, you know, uh, you know, aside from Sam Hong and Alex Law, Mabel Chung, also includes uh, apparently Lam Xingying handling pieces of the direction. Uh, obviously, Ching Sudong and Cor Yun uh, were reaction directors, so they helped too. And it seems Sammo oversaw the project in a way where he wasn't constantly yelling action and cut, but certainly saw it uh, through all the way till editing uh, was complete. And that was something he uh, talked of um, when he, uh, uh, he had some recollections working on Moon Warrior, speaking from Boston at one point. Uh, and that's how Hong Kong cinema worked. You had, you had your director, but you had your assistants, you had your... Uh, action directors and you had your script writers and uh, it was a combined effort of that made uh, that made many of these uh, movies they were demanding and uh, to have just one as the sole director is not uh, cheating anyone out of his or her credit uh, one understood at this time this was how you did it uh, and the reason we know all of this officially was that um, uh, Mabel Chung and Alex Law have spoken about it uh, in uh, public, uh, recollecting their experiences. Uh, that happened when Hong Kong Legends uh, released their DVD and interviewed Mabel Chung and Alex Law about their work on the film. And uh, the production sort of sought out Alex Law and Mabel Chung from a writing and directing perspective uh, to get a better dramatic sheen on the Wuxia film of 1992. And Alex Law came up with the idea for the story. And uh, with the proposed cast uh, weighing in, uh, you know, there were a couple of script or story drafts along the way. And he, he saw this as a Chinese version of the King Arthur legend, but he couldn't quite make that work. So some story tweaks happened and uh, Kennedy became the emperor instead. And that would sort of slide into the Wuxia mold uh, much better. Uh, they say Sam Hong again was the chief director, but uh, Mabel and Alex were hired for a purpose. Uh, so they assisted on that, uh, on the dramatic scenes essentially and of course Koryun and Ching Sudong were there to contribute significantly through action direction. They described Koryun as friendly and relaxed and Ching Sudong as impatient and someone who wants to get moving and get it done and then Sammo as the sort of big brother of proceedings. One of the earlier uh, like uh, Sammo Hong interviews on those uh, very early um, Hong Kong Legends DVDs uh, it's like an archive interview with, uh, with Sammo was done on the set of Moon Warriors. Uh, you can see like stuntmen practicing in the background on trampolines and what have you. So obviously it was there on set and uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's not just on wires. They're using trampolines still in 1992. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so obviously he was there in, in the forest and on set uh, uh, watching over the production. Uh, Mabel and Alex did study the shooting of the action to get an idea of how to tie the narrative into, um, you know, into their uh, uh, drama and sort of study action, of course, which was valuable experience having not shot action on their films uh, before. Picking up some tricks for the, you know, to store for the future possibly. And they did know Ching Sudong would have more wire work and flying while Corey Yun tried to be more technical in the fighting department and possibly more grounded. So their styles are distinctive and different. Granted, Mabel said the Kung Fu directors got impatient uh, with the pair trying to be all meticulous and shit. Uh, referring to a scene where the actors pass through a field uh, with flowers and these had to be manually planted. You know, Ching Zedong wanted to move fast and get his actors back to action, I suppose. You know, I want Andy Lau back. I want him to do his reactions. But uh, no, we're walking through a field of flowers today. And, <laughs> and uh, then they'd essentially report to Sam, who would make sure each of the directors present were, uh, were assigned their part and to make sure the film was crafted properly. So yeah, yes, he oversaw the project. Uh, uh, working with director of photography Arthur Wong, Mabel and uh, Alex uh, knew, you know, perhaps what the cliched look of the Kung Fu movie was, even if they had not, no, no experience in making it. 
but and they asked uh, though if Arthur Wong would be on board with trying something different, and it kind of lit up. Essentially, saying finally, someone is thinking in a different way. Like like the Wuxia film was already like, being cranked out, Tom, and I can imagine there was not always room for. Let's do it in a different stylish way. No, this movie needs to be needs to be out. Shoot, 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 shoot. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so he was happy for that, and it sort of took two drama directors to um, to bring a different perspective. Um, speaking a little bit about um, Mabel Chung, Alex Law, and Kenny B, their relationship goes back to their student days, as they met him when he was doing a concert in New York, and he ended up writing and performing the end credit song to the pair's first film, The Illegal Immigrant, for free. What a good man. And there, there, there's a little um, counterpop ballad number at the very end of uh, their uh, sort of student film that had a little bit of Shaw Brothers uh, funding to complete it yeah. and then was released and uh, won an award for best uh, new director I believe so it had a Kennedy song attached uh, to it uh, having carved out more of a career as a romantic uh, drama and comedy lead uh, Alex Ford of Kenny has uh, you know he, he, he saw uh, that this could be a new role for him a regal role and uh, he certainly looks the part. Uh, and here's the fun tidbit with uh, Maggie that we hinted in hinted at in the main show. Uh, Mabel says Maggie Chung could only spare two days for her role. <laughs> what did I guess? <laughs> I think it was three, four. Way yeah, off there, man. Two days. And uh, she asked uh, Maggie that is not to hire her because that's simply not enough time, man. But mm. they, they went ahead and for her scenes, she would do the martial arts uh, scenes uh, first, uh, where she's obviously double two, but uh, she's there for reactions and so forth. And then she, uh, she'd she perform uh, close-ups uh, in the narrative scenes, essentially for two days, in as many costumes and in front of as many backgrounds as possible. And it got done. And despite having multiple leads, only essentially one scene sees them all together on screen. So, so yeah, the magic of um, editing mm. and, um, uh, and Hong Kong cinema thinking on their feet, I suppose. So. Definitely a huge team effort. Oh yeah, because you, you wouldn't know. You really wouldn't know. I mean, she's not no. in the movie always, but it's not like her. Uh, she's always uh, alone in the frame and mm. uh, simply staring at the frame or <gasps> and going ooh. <gasps> but no dialogue and drama and narrative and some action. Two days, and and, and I mean, uh, it, it's pro- it was probably not like two eight-hour shifts. I'm thinking 48 hours straight. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So, um, and even, um, uh, you know, you know, they did use doubles and uh, for actors to talk to during dialogue. And even Mabel was a stand in for Maggie at one point uh, doing uh, this uh, over the shoulder take. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> she was a shoulder double. Exactly. So, uh, and uh, Mabel points out, though, if talking. The sort of rush nature of the production, inconsistencies in character development, such as Anita Moy appearing cool and kick-ass as this Wusha film heroine in one scene, and then jarred and frightened after having killed in another. But she blames the crazy fast organization of the production. You know, it was multiple directors that were contributing to the whole. So some dents in, in the movie armor could be seen here. But hey, it's, uh, it's how Hong Kong cinema works too. Uh, There were two variants of the ending to the film. Uh, The Universe DVD from Hong Kong featured behind-the-scenes footage of Andy Lau working at Ocean Park. I really want to say this. I'm gagging. Yeah, I'm so afraid. He he was working at Ocean Park with a whale uh, for them to be friendly and to set up shots. But we didn't even get that as an extra on Hong Kong Legends DVD, which was sad. And uh, that was set to one of his uh, Mandarin songs, while the original theatrical edition had a traditional end credit scroll 
accompanied by a song sung by Sally. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think I could still get a refund on my Hong Kong Legends DVD <laughs> for not including that? It's only been about fifteen years, I think. <laughs> yeah. You uh, you go ahead and uh, try and process that and. Uh, Cool. Like now, I get on. The Hong Kong Legends DVD features this theatrical ending only and uh, no extras. There, there wasn't anything on YouTube either, so I, I've never no, seen I that footage. See it. Never seen it. Yeah, I couldn't find it myself. The, the, the Tai Seng DVD in America. I read this today actually. Um, that had that uh, piece of footage with Andy Lau at Ocean Park uh, as an extra. So they, ah. uh, that was released like a few years earlier than um, the Hong Kong Legends remastered yeah. DVD. Yeah. Uh, so so it's uh, it's out there on disc in some shape or form. Um, and finally, Moon Warriors was released on December 19th, uh, 1992, and it ran till the end of the year, according to Hong Kong Movie Database, and it made a solid 11 million Hong Kong dollars uh, during that brief run. So I, I'd say thank your star power for 11 million. You know, and uh, and uh, during Christmas as well, which is no, normally yeah. not like the big movie season. That's at the Lunar New Year, uh, later uh, at the start of the year. Uh, it wasn't enough, those 11 millions, uh, to crack the top 10 uh, in a year that was dominated by Stephen Chow. Uh, the first five spots in the box office top 10 <laughs> were held by movies of his. Uh, at the top, we found Justice My Foot, uh, also starring Anita Moy, earning nearly 50 million. And uh, followed by, speaking of the Lunar New Year, uh, by All's Well and Swell, Royal Tramp, King of Beggars, and Royal Tramp 2. Made all the money. Uh, Mabel and Alice got in there at uh, spot number six, though, with uh, their, uh, if I remember correctly, Lunar New Year comedy, Nicey Love, No, You Don't Stop. Ah, yeah, that was the same year. Yeah. So they had a hit. And at the 10th spot, we found uh, Jack Chan's film, Police Story 3, with a healthy 32 million. Never heard of it. It's What's a, that? It's a, a, little, a little indie indie Hong Kong action film. <laughs> okay, I might check it out. Ken, can I first say that was fantastic, Ken? That was that was really well done, and you condensed a very interesting backstory into a, a very enjoyable kind of kind of moment there. Kind of like look back. Well, we have we have the backstory because uh, Hong Kong Legends had the good sort of idea to interview Mabel Chung and Alex Law, and they'd never been shy about talking about their process. And uh, I was really happy because at that time when that DVD was released, I didn't know Hong Kong cinema operated like that. That uh, mm-hmm. I know there's movies where p- people have said like uh, the writer directed all of it, but someone else got, got the credit because that's just the way it happened, <laughs> you know. Well, it seems like uh, credits, like, especially kind of on movie websites, etc., now change so much, kind of, or change so much throughout the years, kind of adding people and taking away people as you find out, especially with Hong Kong cinema, as you find more uh, out about the backstory or the kind of production yeah. uh, behind the film. It's, it's, it's crazy keeping up, trying to keep up with it. I even learned that with um, uh, watching the 88 films Blu-ray of Shaolin Wooden Men, which is uh, Jackie Chan's second movie for director Lo Wei. Lo Wei is the credited director. There is an executive director credit uh, for um, uh, a man called Chen Chihua. And mm. uh, listening to all that story, it became pretty clear he directed pretty much all of it. And Lo Wei kept his credit for more, um, not for selfish reasons, but the, more the, the name recognition when it came to the promotion, like the, from, the, from the person who gave you the big ah, boss, Fist of Fury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. makes sense. Uh, but still, like the ending splash screen was directed by Lo Wei. It's not just him, like on the right side of uh, The Wooden Man, uh, directed by Lo Wei, on the left side, executive director Chen Chi Hua. So they, they got to share the, the end screen 
uh, in terms of the opening credits, which, mm, which I think cool. meant something. And it it looks like it too, because Shaolin Wooden Man is an infinitely better movie than, for instance, New Fist of Fury, which is just <laughs> no way it is worst. <laughs> a bit better, yeah. <laughs> Chen Chi eventually got like uh, one or two more of the Law Way movies um, under his belt, but uh, solo directing credits. Um, Snaking Crane, Arts of Shaolin, I think is one of his. Oh, it's one of the one of the best ones. Of and that then period. either half a loaf of kung fu or one of the other ones. Half a loaf of kung fu is not one of the good ones. Um, yeah, not so hot, but uh, a mixed bag. I think that would be fair to say. Comedy um, in progress, uh, uh, with an emphasis on progress. It didn't go down too well with uh, <laughs> audiences at the time. He's the uh, man who did that movie, the Thirty Six Crazy Fists, where Jackie came in for one day to choreograph the, the opening yeah. demonstration in the background then you remember what happened after that uh, let's insert behind the scenes footage of Jackie sell it as a Jackie movie Jackie black t-shirt movie 46 crazy fist he did it all <laughs> great band kind of shitty movie <laughs> so yeah exploitation and the chance exploitation anyway back to Moon Warriors I've always liked this uh, I think it works due to probably iconic actors some of which are sadly no longer with us um nostalgia for the era personally this uh, wuxia film of the era but it is an attractive production it has some attention to dramatic detail that i think ranks a few notches above average for the busy wuxia film of the 90s and it's 83 minutes of straightforward um, cool stuff with some um, mature drama inserted certainly in there that i think um, still works uh, fairly well for me so i am still satisfied with the moon warriors me too but yeah i'm i'm feel kind of very similar to you it's a very dreamy colorful romantic uh, film and a a shining example of everything great about that wuxia revival of the 90s yeah it's not one of the weaker ones definitely not Um, i mean i have a fondness for for the wire assisted era of 90s hong kong cinema it uh, was one of the sort of second and third things i found after uh, uh, heroic bloodshed for me seeing like tai chi master on tv like what is this <laughs> they're flying yeah. i've never seen this mind-blowing um, yeah and it's important to note that it i mean we've always had wire work for we've had wire work for a couple of decades up to that point but if we talk of the the new wave wuxia film of the 90s uh, it broke through thanks to great well-rounded films in my opinion like once upon yeah. a time in china like it wasn't just an excuse to do flying shit it was a well-rounded film but the commercial movie making machine started cranking these out you know you had quicker more transparent commercial vehicles uh, certainly wuxia comedies with little to no, no participation from the actors involved when it came to to the action no yeah. you know wong jing stuff which i like but you can see that where where wong jing ends and where the action director picks up and uh, and the uh, and, and then like the comedic actresses and actors just do reaction shots and that's how how it worked yeah definitely i could see there's definitely kind of maybe some films that yeah not not so hot that were just cash-ins because the gen the genre was so popular but i think on the other hand some of the most uh artistic and kind of poetic hong kong films of all time were made during this period um for sure Gorgeous, gorgeous filmmaking. So, some tried to be crazy and frenzied, and some tried to be uh, poetic with the genre. I mean, you have Ashes of Time, which is not your typical wuxia film, but it certainly is a wuxia film, uh, Wong Kar Wai style, which is really, I mean, I'm not being funny, it's really the only Wong Kar Wai film that I like. 
Uh, mm. I've never, they, most of them that, that I've seen, I've not seen all. They haven't broke through with me. But yeah, ages of time, I, I, I like that, that challenge. Yeah. I liked, uh, and it's not due to the fact that, oh, it's Kung Fu. Then, then, then I'm in a safe spot. No, yeah, I like the challenge of Ashes of Time. I like Eagle shooting heroes better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same characters, only stu- more stupid. So, <laughs> Of course. <laughs> I mean, uh, Ching Sudong, the, the co-action director on this film, he, he put such a frenzied and dissing spin literally on action during the 90s that it was sometimes hard to appreciate it. But it led to crazy sights, and that frenzy could be really fetching. Uh, but there were action directors like Yoon Wo Ping, coming from a traditional filmmaking background, making traditional martial arts, that didn't lose sight of what the, like the awe-inspiring sights of the flying and the creativity, like Tai Chi Master. It's not dissing, it's really, you can really appreciate it. it. It comes with grace, and then a creative use of choreography and props and otherworldly feats and stuff like that. So I personally never disliked this era, but I realize it's such a step away from the awe-inspiring, grounded choreography that it might not have a ton of fans anymore. But uh, I think Moon Warriors finds a middle ground at times because you have, I think, Koryun puts people down on the ground more often than not, and Ching Sedong um, uh, doesn't. Which is all fine. So I think it's a cool that the Moon Warriors finds a middle ground at times, which I think can be appreciated. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree with that, man. You, speaking of that promo spot that we all like, that made in Hong Kong, put together for the Moon Warriors, which was set to uh, a, a variation of Ennio Morricone's big gun down uh, theme. Great. Yeah, what, you know what I noticed this time? The original score resembles it. <laughs> it does. I, I literally was one of my notes. is fantastic music, but it's very spaghetti western sounding in parts. So no wonder they sort of like, well, it sounds good, but um, we, 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 let, let's put in the, the, the thing that it sounds like that is actually a little bit better. That's it. Let's just go whole hog and just, you know, take the score uh, from Marconium and, and kind of put it in the trailer. Ironically, I've listened to that score many, many times. Big gun down. Not seen the movie. Have you not? Nope. It's just one of those things. I love the score. I mean, fantastic, how could you not? Uh, yeah, fantastic trilogy. Um, I, 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 can all, I can only imagine what uh, what goes on in the movie. It's wonderful. He does variations of the big Gundam score, uh, both, you know, very operatic and majestic. And then there's like a um, sort of banjo theme that sounds like characters are out dancing or something. But it's set to the big Gundam score. You know, uh, uh, banjo and violin. So it's a very more, it's more earthy and more like a party atmosphere. But it's the same theme. So and that that's Morricone and Hart uh, in a nutshell uh, for him. Check the yeah, check that out. Check that trilogy out if you haven't seen it. Oh, it's a trilogy. It's, I didn't uh, know that. Yes, it's Sergio uh, Salima. You got uh, Big Gun Down, um, and then something else, and then something else. <laughs> face to face. Uh, that face helped face, so much, then... man. <laughs> <laughs> face to face and then I think Man on the Run I want to say they've all got uh, Thomas Millian in them but they're all kind of uh, do they all have Lee Van Cleef stories kind of self Lee? self-contained stories no I think Van Cleef's only in the big gun down so uh, yeah you might be a bit disappointed if you're going in for a bit of Cleef but they're fantastic films uh, in their own right talk about Dan Lau for a bit because he's the performer that stands out because he does more of his own action in this one, and yes. how does that come off? Uh, that we that it's not all like dissing, double doubling from someone with uh, a long uh, with a wig, and uh, then Andy Lau comes into the frame. Like, uh, how does that reflect on him? You think? I think he's obviously the the shining star in terms of the 
in terms of the kind of action performances. I think I think in I think in general, I think the weakest part of the film is is probably the action choreography. I only think uh, it slightly lets the film down for me because I feel like while it's quite inventive in parts, the way it's shot to aid in masking the fact there was a lot of doubling going on strips the fight scenes a little of the power. I think I think I'd rather just see a stuntman up close taking the hits in the place of the star and keep the flow of the action rather than um, shoot far away at obtuse angles, which which this does, but. I mean, on the other hand, I know tonally the film's not really going for some Iron Monkey-like madness, but, you know, Hong Cinema never cared about tone anyway, so... <laughs> but 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 Andy is one the performer that really... You, you can see Andy, he's the one that participates a lot more and, and does 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 movements in some shots, you know, going from stuntman to stuntman, so... I, I I always thought I reflected really well on him, uh, and he, he's a performer that we've seen involve himself in action, uh, not just close-ups and and slow motion leaps towards the camera to uh, we, we, which they can do. I mean, a, a safe trampoline shot that a double doesn't need to do. But uh, I I really in, enjoy that he involves himself uh, and uh, has got the timing down fairly well. It, it's nostalgic, so I don't mind most of the action here. But I I remember reacting to the fact that I like the grounded stuff better when they uh, they exchange yeah. swordplay techniques. It, it's a it's undercranked, granted, but I like that better. I admire that more. And the flying stuff is a nice little comfy cushion, but uh, it's nothing uh, you know trailblazing for. The genre, which arguably, you know, once upon a time in China, Iron Monkey could be argued to, um, to to be a little bit more anyway. Definitely, I completely agree. Yeah, and I think here Andy's kind of young, he's fit, and he moves with speed, but also I think he moves with the grace that you need for a kind of Wuxia Pian film. And he's got it kind of just down to a T. And I think he just throws himself in, as you can see with the the dolphin training um yeah. <laughs> well the dolphin training he must have undergone to to perform the way he does with the dolphin he just throws himself in i think at this point in his career as well i mean he's always been a bit like that i think he just he takes projects on he does the best he can in them regardless of kind of uh the quality of the film a lot of the time but um working, here working you get ethic. him definitely and here you get him kind of chucking himself in at the deep end, deep end but also you get you know a fantastic film out of it as well Really, I mean, it has action, but the, the dramatic moments, I think, works well. At 83 minutes, not a lot of stuff is, ling- is lingered on for extensive amount of uh, reels or anything. But I do like the sort of good-hearted aspect of the movie where we see uh, the... Well, Andy Lau doesn't know that Kennedy is, is a prince or is an emperor or whatever, but we see Kennedy experiencing the good-hearted ethics of the characters within the fishing village, which Adelao belongs to, and their empathy towards nature, and uh, even, you know, he talks about catching fish, but uh, sometimes you have to let them go as well. You know, you need to be some, some sort of kind to nature, and he appreciates their living, and I think Kennedy really, uh, he, he comes off as sympathetic rather than this tyrant as a, as a royal person, you know, and, uh, and, and, and even when Andy Lau finds out that Oh my God, he is royal. Their relationship doesn't change, which I thought was lovely. Kennedy still speaks to him as a man. And Andy Lau, it's not like Andy Lau, you know, does slapstick shit or anything to him. Like, uh, no. Makes him fall no. in poo. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're still good friends, <laughs> exactly. 
they're still good friends and i thought four thousand uh they, they have good uh good interaction for as long as it lasts because again 83 minutes this movie flies and uh it looks good on them too I think so. I think Andy and uh, Anita is obviously the big love story of the film, but Andy and Kenny B have, have great chemistry right off the bat, and I think that really makes the love triangle aspect that we get into during the film a lot more kind of heartbreaking. Kelvin Wong, I think, is a great villain for the piece. He's got a great intro, that those steely eyes, and he's a master um, at the archery. Oh, man, that intro is crazy. That's when the movie. It might not be actually very expensive, but it looks like a grand production. When he shows off his uh, expert archery, he shoots up. He shoots that pattern that's gonna light up as the letters uh, of uh, heaven and earth. But the thing that he does to to light them up is uh, he beheads someone, shoots an arrow through their head, and a flaming arrow, and that's gonna light up heaven and earth. And I was like. I think that's our villain. Just have a feeling, man. Was it all? Was it, was it obvious? Was it not too? Yeah, not too sort of. Uh, but a fantastic intro, uh, nonetheless. Is uh, I mean, Kevin Wong didn't make a lot of films, but he's the bad guy in Runaway Blues, opposite Andy as well, right? Yes. He's yeah, fantastic in that film too. They've got a great kind of. Um, well, they work well on their respective sides of uh, of good and evil. He's, uh, he's in her vengeance as well as a um, sort of um, ah yeah yeah it's literally credited as Ying's sort of boyfriend which I think is <laughs> true uh, <laughs> unfortunately he um, passed away in 2004 so uh, yeah he, he was um, he was ill so uh, so that filmography isn't extensive uh, he, he stopped acting uh, at least in Hong Kong movies in the mid 90s but uh, passed away in 2004 but uh, it's got a really um, impactful intro and uh, as we don't see a lot of him but uh, you you remember that ruthlessness of uh, the 14th prince which is all you uh, really uh, need for, for, for a movie The Royal Tomb I think is a great set a really expansive multi-layered set with the shrine and the waterfall and it's deep enough to do crane moves around it and it's also big enough for a horse to ride through it so this is this movie's big investment Definitely, yeah. It's uh, it's very iconic scenery, um, and a lot, a lot, not a huge portion, but there's quite a few scenes that, that take place there. And the, the finale, obviously, uh, takes place takes place there as well. And it's fantastic, very atmospheric lighting, and and just a fantastic um, originality to it for sure. It's it's more interesting when action takes place in this setting versus when it takes place in the forest. Um in my opinion yeah. uh, this environment is a lot more it, it opens up for more creative uh, uh, uses of uh, the environment when all the uh, stone tiles start uh, coming loose you know during the final fight and all of that so yeah, it, it makes uh, both Corey's and Ching Sudong's work uh, infinitely more interesting when it's in this setting really and I mean I, I, it sounds like I'm being funny but uh, sometimes Hong Kong movie sets are not big and the fact that Kelly Wong rides a horse through it all is pretty impressive, actually. It's, uh, it seems very endless. I think that's, that's one of the big selling points, or at least one of the kind of um, things to take away from the film in terms of the quality of it is, is, is the kind of production in terms of the, uh, the set design and, and especially like the, the lighting. And it, it just looks gorgeous. I mean, I think we probably take for granted how well these films or how good these films looked 
the ones of the the Wuxia revival uh, of the nineties, but it can't be easy. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of lot of different factors, especially when they're shooting outside and with horses and with different animals, and it must have been difficult to you know get the film uh the way it did or at least get the film to come together the way it did yeah and uh, with one star that they can't be there for <laughs> very long at you know to add to that uh, <laughs> yeah. work uh, work um, experience so and they did it they, they got maggie out seemingly so uh, and uh, maybe uh, on her way to a heroic tree or set who knows <laughs> maybe she's got a great very cool playing against type kind of role for for maggie in this film which uh, which i really enjoyed she really, they really squeezed the, uh, all they could out of those two days with her. I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like much, like a couple of scenes of uh, dialogue between between uh, people. But we're talking two days of a variety of costumes and settings, and some action reactions, and uh, and then uh, some uh, dramatic acting. And it's not common; it's not right. You shouldn't do it like this. But somehow they thought like, well, <laughs> we're Hong Kong cinema, like uh, hold our beer. Let's, let's, yeah. let's shoot Maggie out in two days. You know, it, it wouldn't have been allowed in more organized uh, industries. <laughs> you know, yeah, to do it I like mean, this. you got you to gotta love it, man. Yeah, I mean, I think I thank God that, you know, you had that type of cinema that, at that type of point and people were just free to kind of do whatever they want, really, because it's there on screen forever. Uh, the strongest stretch of the movie, I think, is with Andy Lau and Anita Moy on their own. Um, you know, as yeah. one that's uh, is brave and not very frail versus someone who's a bit spoiled and bratty and, and is frail. Uh, despite getting in on the action, Anita Moy's character still is afraid of blood initially, which doesn't really make sense. But it's Anita Moy and Andy, La- Andy Lau. And once they get going, they're back and forth. They're one-on-ones. That's when the writing and the dramatic part of the movie, I think, really um, shines, considering it's 83 minutes and it's a wuxia film from this point. Um, It helps that they look absolutely gorgeous together, of course, but uh, they're continuing fast dramatic development, but still their scenes are very, very good together as as that element is introduced that uh, she is set to, to marry Prince Again, and uh, but she feels this draw to the person who saved her, and uh, she saves Andy Lau at one point. So all of those tropey things and cliched things really come together because it's, um, I suppose you should say it's underplayed. It's naturally played. It's played with heart, and uh, the, the 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 notion of separate jades that uh, they talk of that that uh, the separate jades um, individual jades make a particular sound and uh, there are little bits here that I think comes from a strong writer and it feels a little bit more meaningful considering the movie we, we're dealing with uh, here and uh, I, I think it's very memorable that they have their own little movie for a bit and that's when I think Samahong allows for the movie to stay on one thing the longest you know it's not like two minutes of bicker 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 two minutes of action and then less bicker falling for you action yeah. action action no he he allows the movie to stay on their um, story for for a bit and it's um it's quite mature and um, not expected it's not world class but it's uh, it's not expected considering the movie we're dealing with yeah, definitely. Just kind of lets it breathe, and that the film also does slow down in that kind of middle section uh, with their interaction. But I feel like it, it definitely kind of needs to do that. And 
benefits a lot from doing that, really kind of slowing it down and, and, and letting this kind of little quite beautiful love story kind of play out before we get into the you know the nitty-gritty of of the back end of the film so yeah it's almost like it sets up the seeds for the emotional payoffs towards the back end and it, it just really works and yeah i think sam probably had the kind of you know the intelligence to to let that happen and, and not just it be kind of wall-to-wall fights well they're here for a reason because they've they made two things with him where it worked out, you know, critically at the very least. I know you and I didn't see eye to eye on Eight Tales of Gold, but they had that in painted faces, so they've obviously proven their chops yeah. in Samo's eyes, surely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, and, and it shows up here, and I'm still kind of uh, surprised that it's as impactful as it is, and even, you know, could be cheesy symbolism, but the the notion of uh, the, the flower, uh, the field of flowers being so fertile because it's a burial ground. And uh, it becomes rather not moving but affecting enough imagery we sort of stay on it and we get to absorb it a little bit and uh, I, I like that um, maturity and um, they, they look good together and uh, it's very memorable still in this uh, in this uh, 83 minute film that we that, that that this was allowed to move and breathe mm. it's, uh, it's impressive and and it doesn't clash with the action design or of a story either which you know. no not at all feels like a very uh, cohesive piece of filmmaking, despite the 15 directors and <laughs> 64 action choreographers and the 31 uh, editors that it had. I don't think they're credited on Hong Kong Movie Database, but I, I listened to a bit of the commentary today. They, they did a commentary and an interview. Uh, the interview is sort of a condensed version of the commentary, but Mabel and Alex said that uh, Andrew Lau did a little bit of uh, photography on the film, and Peter Pao did a little, little bit of photography on the film. So if you have Jeez. Arthur Wong, Andrew Lau, and Peter Pao, your movie's <laughs> bound to look good. Pretty much all throughout. What a pick and mix of... Uh fine directors of photography yeah not all fine directors uh, uh, peter powell and andrew lau are not necessarily fine directors but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are in my books <laughs> and Arthur wong hasn't done that much uh, he did in the line of duty free i believe but i haven't seen that so that's one of offers uh, films so there that's are. a good one yeah that's a good one um, so some final notes, I suppose. Uh, I think Maggie versus Anita, their fight scenes in quotation marks. It's Aggie. <laughs> it's Aggie. It's Maggie <laughs> and Anita and stunt doubles uh, <laughs> fighting. It's stylized but grounded. I really appreciated that. And the undercranking didn't bother me in those uh, swordplay exchanges. Um, they, they seem rather complex mixed uh, with uh, select shots of the actors and I was very much in um, in on that because we're all in on this. So obviously, they are doubles and it's, it's, it's up to you if that is uh, something that takes you out of the movie, but uh, it's it's still remarkable that we were talked about the narrative scenes. It's still remarkable the number of scenes that also involves action that they crank out with Maggie because you have to imagine that they they have the action design, but they need to get Maggie out, so they need to do like yeah. mid fight scene reaction shots and then beat 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 then the next reaction shots. Okay, Maggie, you're done. Run over there. We're gonna do the doubles. You know what I mean? I can't do it. Yeah, can um, completely do it out of order and exactly. somehow make it, you know, look look good in the uh, in the editing room. It's crazy. So uh, that, that that's appreciated and uh, and yeah. So um, there's uh, I, I don't think uh, I don't have any much to say. It's not on the level of the fast cash ins, uh, uh, but it takes a, a a middle ground in the genre 
uh, with distinction, I think. Yeah. Uh, and finally, the ending smells of a let's shoot an alternate ending so we can tag onto the th- that we can tag onto a film in case we want one star to survive. And I won't say anything else because it looks like <laughs> no one <laughs> comes out of this alive. Yeah. But we're gonna yeah, let's add that scene. Despite you know we have it, so let's add it. One one person survived. Hurrah. Cue the counterpop theme. Yeah, <laughs> I think it gets away. It's kind of a bit dreamy, isn't it? And a bit kind of... It, it could be seen as, you know, n- not a dream, but it could be seen as maybe narratively not in that order. But if you know what I mean, it doesn't seem like this all happened. I know he specifically says <laughs> this happened a year like later. Few, but it kind like of like few, I be, made it out in voiceover. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, it's kind of like dream logic a little bit, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say, and I, I think it works so well in the context Nolan of the film. Yes, I think he was one of the 64 directors, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier. We see something in this uh, kid from wherever wherever he is from in England, uh, but but yeah, I, I wasn't bothered with it, but it, it's clear that yeah, the movie could have ended at did uh, it could have rolled credits, but there's another scene that uh, will make you feel a little bit happier I suppose but uh, I'm, I'm gonna end my notes right there um, still, I still like it uh, not a fan of all the action but a fan of a good chunk of it and the dramatic uh, chunks works as well for me and that's what you have Alex Law and Mabel Chung for they um, they prove that they can uh, do this it's not like they they went ahead and uh, made, uh, made their name in Wuxia but um, still it's, it's nice to see them make an impact considering the storytellers that they usually are definitely i'm going to instead of doing what i normally do and what you want me to do continue talking until i say something ridiculous and make a fool out of myself i'm going to say ken i completely agree with everything you say and that's also my opinion so, so I, did, I, I thought you were going to say, like, Ken, I had a whale of a time watching this movie. <laughs> Was that funny? Will you leave that in the podcast, Ken? I did have a whale joke. I, I, I did say Andy freezes Willie a whole year before Jesse did. I think it was the actual, actually the same, same whale. It was, uh, it was a big couple of years for that guy. Showbiz just got to his head, though. You know, 94 onwards, he didn't really do a lot. Did a couple of tuna commercials, but that was it, really. Okay, okay. Let's end on that. Uh, as for availability, movie was issued on UK DVD by Hong Kong Legends, again featuring an audio commentary with uh, Bay Logan, joined by Mabel Chung and Alex Law, uh, sort of acting as the moderator. But but the duo really, um, they're not shy about talking. So Mabel Chung and Alex Law uh, hold their own in that commentary, which is uh, which makes it a nice and lively discussion. Uh, but do also sits down for an interview, so this um, edition really brings light on the 90s Hong Kong filmmaking process, as we've said. Uh, and thankfully, it's not one of the Hong Kong Legends DVDs that uh, is way too expensive. It is available very cheaply still on the Amazon Marketplace. And, you know, I think it was one of those ones that was re-released, I think, um, with the new cover, etc., during the kind of latter days of... Um Hong Kong Legends output. There, there, there might be a Cine Asia sort of tag on one of the editions indeed there because they re-released yeah, uh, the Hong yeah. Kong Legends uh, discs as well. But but you still had movies like Dreadnought, the Hong Kong Legends version of Dreadnought, going for way, way, way much money. And it's also one of the latter-day uh, releases. I think Peacock King is one of, the, one of those that normally goes for uh, quite expensive um, prices. But uh, Moon Warriors uh, can be... 
uh, bought uh, very cheaply if you want the extras. Uh, there is also a Hong Kong Blu-ray released in 2019, but I can't comment on its uh, quality. But um, it's uh, it's out there. So. Um, Times are good for Moon Warriors. I also have the VHS, which I uh, haven't watched. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is very ridiculous. Like that is, it's rated eighteen, and yeah, there's one or two moments that are quite bloody. And and I and I looked at the um, at the DVD. It's probably a fifty twelve for those those gory moments, <laughs> and a twelve. Because uh, there, there, there's a scene where a sword gets uh, run through, uh, someone holds a sword, and that, that sword gets run through that hand. That's a very disgusting shot. Twelve, twelve is fine. And it says on the back it's only twelve because of the special features. Oh. <laughs> and I don't, I don't understand what they mean by that. So you know, maybe a PG. I have no idea, but it's a pretty strong PG. Yeah, for for sure. Uh, so, uh, but eighteen is ridiculous for for the VHS. Sometimes I think they. Uh, rated the entire VHS including the promo reel so if there were violent promo reels might be the old manga video method of um, trying to kind of sell it on its uh, edginess as it were and stamping the old 18 rating on there who knows just well, a conspiracy well theory, the manga method was that they, they dubbed it with a lot of profanity but uh, here we're not talking uh, new dubs with profanity we're talking subtitles but not subtitles with a ton of profanity so I, uh, <laughs> that'd be uh, funny if they did though you, you know what and speaking of that manga method that where they uh, made profane dubs it's not a fun nostalgic thing for me anymore to watch these movies with just because they're profane they're cool no it's just tiresome it's really forced like they're let's go over there to that fucking phone box and make a fucking phone call what on earth are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah it gets a bit Tourette'sy doesn't it yes it uh, does very much I remember when Cyber City um, 808 was re-released and people were just like get the UK dub get the UK dub both for music because it has a better score but it's so much yeah. wearing it's so much wearing the UK dub is great it's not but I realise <laughs> no. where people are coming no. from fantastic uh, opening theme song but I think that's really the only advantage the, the, the score is it. great for Cyber City but it just gets like are you guys 12? Like, come on man yeah it, it, it works in the case of Mad Bull 34 because that's such a foul violent it's set in New York and it's so much fun to hear English voice actors doing a tough New York City cop uh, profane dialogue. <laughs> it works with that show because it's so rough and nasty for the hell of it. Sometimes anime dubs were so random, just get the red 18 label on there and that will fly off the shelves. So, anyway, bonus episode is done. Thank you everybody for following us over from a tale of three cities, uh, the finale to Mabel Chung and Alex Law's career. And uh, we took you back to when they were working behind the scenes, but uh, working distinctly to make a movie uh, work. In my opinion, uh, that's uh, very much fascinating. So thank you for listening to the Moon Warriors uh, bonus episode. So we're going to we're gonna go to bed now. We've been here for so many hours and uh, talking about uh, Taylor Free Citizen and Moon Warriors. Totes, a three-hour Skype phone call. As if you just said so. <laughs> if I say so, it's real. <laughs> we, we recorded all the Mabel Chung and Alex Law episodes uh, on a Sunday. <laughs> In one sitting. Yeah, exactly. It's been exhausting. It's been exhausting. I still feel good about it. I still got my voice. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we uh, we are done. I've been Kelly Beer. With me was Tom KW. Say goodbye to the bonus episode listeners. Bye, boner episode listeners. I said boner. I said a bonus. Can't do it properly, ever.
You got you got a good promo out of me last week. What do you want from me? 